Just as a disclaimer for tonight's episode, we don't claim to be experts. We're definitely not that, but we did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Appalachian Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. So, Neil, here we are, next episode of Appalachia Meets World. How's it going? Hey, pretty good. It's uh, episode cinco, right? We know a little Spanish, we know a little Espanol in Appalachia. There is a lot of diversity in Appalachia. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Lots of Mexican restaurants. For real, there is a lot of diversity. People don't really realize that. They think of Appalachia as this monolithic community, which... It's not if you uh, really look into it. So yeah, I know we kind of get a we kind of get labeled as the the group that has no teeth and like all our brothers and sisters really well, but you know not necessarily the truth. <laughs> right. I, I wanted to ask you the question of where are you from? And you know you know where I be <laughs> in the foothills. In the foothills. What what our what a coach said a few episodes ago. I'm not in the flatlands. No, in the mountains. <laughs> this is definitely not the flatlands. You, you have anything uh, you want to bring up tonight in regards to Appalachia, Appalachia news? Right off the cuff, you know, just lots of uh, developing stories in Appalachia right now. Uh, lots of high school baseball teams shooting for a state title. And a lot of hometown people are tuned into that. A lot of summer sport events going on with my kids and Everybody else's kids right now, so very local. real newsworthy. Very local, yeah, very local. Yeah. I like, I like yeah. how you keep yeah. it local. I, I, I did read. I, I mean, this didn't happen yesterday. Most people know about it. I saw West Virginia is giving away rifles and shotguns if you get your COVID shot. Did you see that? Oh my gosh! Really? No, I didn't. Yeah, they're giving that. away hunting rifles and uh, uh and shotguns. Five of each. You, you know, like a lottery, they're, they're, I think yeah, they might be giving yeah, like away some cash too, but cash and guns. Yeah, that's awesome. I bet they don't do that in <laughs> Connecticut. Yeah, I, I knew I knew I would get that response from you for some reason. Yeah, of course. I might, I might go to West Virginia and get my COVID shot there. Maybe they'll put my name in the hat. <laughs> I definitely put my name in the hat in Ohio. They're giving away a million dollars every Wednesday for five weeks. For COVID shots? Every Wednesday for Are five weeks, a million dollar drawing, five weeks in a row. So five million dollars. You are kidding me. No, and then they're giving away a, a free in-state full tuition scholarship to kids that are between 12 and 18 that have been vaccinated for five what weeks. What are we doing? We are using the money wisely is, is, is what we're doing. What money? Where'd the money come from? <laughs> All the COVID money that they gave the states. Now okay, they're so, u- so that's using it to incentivize people to get their shots. Okay, so they're using the free COVID money, the federal COVID money that they call free, that your kids and my kids are going to be paying for, right? Exactly. That's, nothing, how, federal, that's how federal free, money bro. works. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. So, Neil, we don't really have anyone on on the episode tonight, but we did want to take a moment uh, or, or at least use this episode to talk about something that we've brought up a time or two in the last couple of episodes. And every time we brought it up, it, it kind of uh, not necessarily struck a nerve with me, but just made me think a lot, a lot about it. it. It's in regards to opportunity or lack thereof 
in Appalachia, you've mentioned on several episodes about your kids and how they might not have the opportunities as other kids may have outside the region. And that, that's something that kind of hit one, it hits home with me, but it, I don't necessarily know if I fully agree. Like I said before, some people don't know opportunity when it's knocking. It may not look like an opportunity, but when in actuality it is, or it could be. I don't know if there's anything you want to add in the beginning. I, you no, know, I just there, let, let me just ask you this. Like I said, you you've mentioned it several times, but just how in your mind do you define opportunity, uh, whether it be with your kids or, or just in general in your community in Appalachia? How, how do you define opportunity? Wow. I guess I've ever really thought of a, a, a way to to define opportunity as far as I guess it all depends on the context in which we're talking about. But very true. Uh, it's a broad, broad, generalized <laughs> question. Yeah. I guess just having access uh, in order to better yourself. And when I say better yourself, what 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 do I mean? I guess just having the access to you know achieve your dreams, having a chance to to accomplish uh, whatever it is you set out in life for. Is there is there certain things that that hold you back because of where you live or because of the area you grow up in? I'm not sure if that is a exact definition of of opportunity. But no, and I don't I don't think there is an exact definition. That's not really why I asked. I just was kind of curious of of you know your mindset when you've mentioned it a time or two of of your kids that may not you know may not have the opportunity that others have. But you know I, I think that's not lost on Appalachia. You know if you if you look at the numbers. Depending on how you define rural, it's defined in, in, in several ways, whether it be by CDFIs, by USDA, other federal agencies, blah, blah, blah. But, but in general, you know, 95% of the land in America, in the U.S. is considered rural, but only a quarter of the population actually lives in rural America. So three-fourths of the population live in urban cities. So there is this, you know, rural urban divide that we all talk about. And to your point of just not having access, I think one, just looking at the numbers, it's a density thing. You know what I mean? Like, Mm. of course, if there's more people in a place, there are more chances of having access to certain things. I, I, a little story about my childhood. I remember growing up, I know you don't remember this. You were really young. You, you know, my daughter now is a Girl Scout. Well, when I was growing up, I really wanted to be a Cub Scout. And so mom signed me up to be a Cub Scout. Kind of a week before we were supposed to have our first meeting, the parent who was volunteering to do the Cub Scouts said, I can't do it anymore. And so because our town was so small, we didn't have Cub Scouts. There was no, there was no other parents that had the time or could volunteer to hold Cub Scout meetings every week or every other week, however often they're held. And so I never had that opportunity. I didn't have an opportunity to be a Cub Scout. That really was a density issue or a leadership issue of no one there to step up to the plate. Whereas in a bigger city, have so many people that at least one person could step up. I think there were a lot of things when we grew up that, you know, we didn't have access to just because we were from a small town. 
yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. I mean, of course, you know, you're talking to somebody that grew up just like you. So uh, other people that you might talk to outside of the world that we grew up in might just totally be shocked by that kind of statement. But I think over time that that situation has gotten better where we live, but it's still it's still not anywhere close to, you know, the situation that you live in. You talk about your daughter, if the Girl Scout leader or whatever resigned this week, there would be plenty of other people to step up in that role and fulfill that role. It's not that way here. I think Richie brought up a great point in the last episode about the magnification of athletes who, who don't make it or whatever. That's a density issue. So, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, it's the same going back to Cub Scouts. Yeah, definitely. But And, you know, when it comes to opportunity or lack thereof that is often perceived in, in Appalachia, I think there is truth to that. And there are certain things that I, I hear people bring up all the time when they're, when they're talking about Appalachia or Appalachia small towns because Appalachia is made up of larger cities to smaller towns like we grew up. I mean, Pittsburgh, Asheville, those, those are quote unquote larger cities. And, and throughout Appalachia, there are a lot of even urban environments, but majority of Appalachia is small towns. And so there's always going to be that density, that isolation that plays into the opportunity aspects, but there are other things too. So some of the things that I always hear people say in the rural areas or in the small towns, I'm just going to say what I hear. There are five things that I've kind of written down that maybe we can talk about each one. Just um, when you hear them, like, what do you think one of the things that I always hear people say in a small town when it comes to opportunity is there's nothing to do, right? You hear, you hear that all uh, the time among <clears throat> old, among young, among everybody. Teenagers. Town, and, yeah, there's right. nothing to do here. What, I mean, what do you think about when you hear someone say that? Well, you know, I said those same things uh, when I was a teenager, when I was, you know, I, I guess preteen. But now I, I, I sit back and I think, well, what what exactly do you want to do that you can't do? Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just have a hard time dealing with it now. But I guess, I, you know, some of that's maturity and some of that's, you know, just the realization that I don't need some of those other things. You know, I think at the time there's nothing to do. I thought there was just some big world that I was going to go out to every single night and uh, have an adventure. Uh, <laughs> now I guess I make my own adventures. You just kind of learn learn to, to deal with that over time. Yeah, and you can always uh, find things to do. I, I know when I worked in D.C., one, one of the places I worked uh, was the central office of the public school system. And one of the projects mm-hmm. I have, I, I went into the, the prison system to mm-hmm. uh, help with uh, high school within the prison system. And I used to talk to the students <laughs> in there. And of course, it's a little different because obviously they were incarcerated. But when they would talk about their neighborhoods that they came from and that they lived in, it was always there's nothing here. There's nothing to do. And I'm thinking to myself, especially coming where, where we came from, yeah, they no are in neighborhoods in Washington, D.C., where they could walk to literally have the world at their fingertips. Now, now, granted, they may not just coming from where they came from. They may not have 
had access to a lot of those things. But to tell me that there's nothing to do in Washington, D.C., I mean, it just kind of blew my mind at the time. I guess my point is, it doesn't matter where you are, you're always going to hear people complain about there's nothing to do. You just get used to what's around you, but you can always find something to do, right? I'm sure there's teenagers in California and L.A. that say the same thing. There's nothing to do. You know, they're just struck with boredom. I think a lot of things have changed that anywhere you are in the world, you can have a device in your hand and not be bored anymore, but that's on connected. A, uh, yeah. You can be connected yeah. to anywhere. Like, like we didn't have that growing up. We, yeah. Right. That's what I was going to say. You know, when we were growing up, there was nothing to do because there was nothing to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, unless you made up a game, you didn't have a game. But we call it salamanders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to go back and do that tomorrow. Right. That, yeah, that's the thing. Um, the older you get, the more you realize that it's not all that bad. Right. Uh, and, you just, okay. Your appreciation grows deeper. Definitely. Uh, the next thing that I hear a lot, the second thing is in, in small towns, is lack of diversity. You know, it's not, as diverse as I like, everyone's the same. What do you think about when you hear that, especially coming from a small town? Yeah, I mean, I guess some some of that is definitely true, but it, it goes back to the point of density again. I mean, you know, there's just not a ton of people like there are in other parts of the world. And with more people, obviously you have more diversity. You know, the smaller amounts of people, there's less diversity. You know, whether that whether you're talking about white, black or you're talking about Asians or Latinos on a bigger spectrum, that tends to be more diverse in the larger cities, obviously, uh, and outside, definitely outside of, uh, of Appalachia. But, there, you know, there's other parts of the world that, you know, I, I go to, for instance, and, you know, I may I may say there's no diversity here, but. You know, what What exactly does that mean for me? Yeah, There's I, not people that sound like me, you know? Like I said before, if you look at Appalachian as a whole, Appalachia as a whole, as a region, you know, we're, we're not, as we're thought of, we're, we're this white, monolithic culture region that everyone thinks the same, everyone talks the same. That's not the case. Like we've mentioned no. before, there are a number of different dialects and accents mm-hmm. in Appalachia there it is really a diverse place which is something that we also want to mention through you know the best the best example podcast and uh, you know part of being in a small town and, and you mentioned density yeah you're not going a lot of times a community might not be as diverse but it, it's important for those communities to be open to be, and I think a lot of Appalachian communities are to be open to other religions, other races. Any community that we've lived in, we've always seen that openness or that willingness to welcome other diverse populations. Yeah, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really understand uh, different dialects. I guess growing up, and I, I didn't really have a have an opinion on on people's dialects or or why someone sounded different than me. But, you know, after I graduated from college, I spent a month in Chile, and you know this. But um, so when I was there, I I guess I 
gained a greater understanding for what exactly that means. So I spent in during college, I had uh, three different levels of Spanish classes. And then I went to Chile expecting to be able to communicate with whoever I, whoever I bumped into, you know, um, because I, I felt like I knew Spanish good enough to, to carry on conversation. And when I got there, I realized that, you know, the Spanish that I was speaking wasn't necessarily the Spanish that the, the people in uh, Chile uh, often hear. So the way that I was saying words w- was similar to what was in, uh, you know, Mexico City or something. Uh, and I was in Chile saying what I'd learned in the U.S. And they basically told me I made no sense. And for that month, I had to figure out how to communicate in the way that that they did in in Chile. So I guess that was the first time that I really grasped, like, you know, I sound different than people in the United States in Appalachia. And if I go to California and I talk or even if I go two and a half hours away to where I went to college and I talk, I sound different than the people that may have grown up in Ohio or up in the Northeast somewhere. And I never really grasped that until I spent time in a foreign country. I know that may not, not make sense at all, but uh, I, I didn't really understand that even in pockets within your own region, people may not understand what you're saying and they're not, they're not making fun of you. They're not, they're not dissing you because you're different. They just don't understand you because you, you grew up different. Yeah. Know? No. Yeah. I, I, I totally understand what you're saying, but um, also to that point, I, I think when we have different accents, I think our society has, unfortunately, and getting back to the stereotypes of Appalachia, our society has kind of ranked accents. You hear a British mm-hmm. accent, you automatically think that person's a little smarter than you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You hear uh, an Australian yeah. accent, you think that guy's pretty pretty cool, you know? Yeah. You yeah. hear uh, an Appalachian accent, and we're ranked. To- I mean, we've discussed this. Pretty we're low. Pretty, yeah. pretty low, you know. They think less yeah. of us. They think mm-hmm. we're backwards. They think we're not as bright, not as intelligent. So, like, I, you know, I think accents are definitely ranked unfortunately or, or there, there's a scale there that people automatically assume or automatically think and that you know obviously that's one thing we're trying to shed light on with this podcast is that you know we're not all that different just because we may sound different doesn't mean we're any less i guess number three a lot of a lot of times what i hear in small towns is there are no public services whether it be healthcare, whether it be broadband, whether, whether it be transportation, there, there's that lack of services within our community. Yeah, I think the biggest one for me is transportation, public transportation. That is something that you and I both never saw growing up. I mm-hmm. mean, still don't, still don't see. And I remember talking to some friends of mine who, you know, grew up differently, grew up in different areas and you know, they were, I'd ask them how they got here, how they got there. And they, what do you mean, man? What do you mean? We, we can go anywhere we want. Well, that's, that's not the case for me growing up. I think that's a real legitimate problem in smaller rural communities. I think you said public education too. Is that, did, did you say that? 
I, I said public services, but yeah, education is included yeah. in that education, healthcare, uh, transportation, all, all of the above. And it goes back to that density deal, obviously. Um, I guess in, in bigger, you know, more populated areas, then those are services that are second nature to people. But where we grew up, you know, healthcare was the local hospital that was at the, the bottom of the hill. Uh, you know, I remember a story from when I was two years old that, you know, I don't really remember it. I've seen it on video. Uh, I hear mom tell people about it and you were obviously there. But when I fell off of mom's shoulders and onto concrete and I was, wasn't breathing, I was two, uh, you were trying to steal basketball or something. And, and I fell off her shoulders and, and landed on my head and I stopped breathing. And we lived at the top of the hill, and the first reaction was rushing to the hospital. Thank goodness it was at the bottom of the hill. We could get there quickly. Well, thank, you know. And thank goodness it wasn't more serious because when, when where we grew up, when it was more serious, they had to helicopter you an hour to, to Lexington. I mean, that was the closest major healthcare center. <clears throat> That's what I was going to say. We, we drove to the bottom of the hill, and luckily I started breathing you know, in a more severe situation, that's an hour, hour and a half helicopter ride to a hospital where they can handle things like that. Um, you know, it happens all the time, still happens where, you know, access to healthcare is not as immediate as we want it to be. Although we do have several great facilities throughout Appalachia now that uh, can service those things, but there are some, some still still some really rural areas that <clears throat> that don't have access to that and a lot of folks that have, have suffered and a lot of families have suffered just genu genuinely because they couldn't get there in time yeah i think telehealth is really helping a, a little in that regard and it's really important for rural areas obviously if it's a like you said major i think, co I think covid had some positive things happen in the healthcare world and I just want to say this. I just want to say this. I will never wait in a medical facility waiting room ever again. Like with COVID, uh, my wife had a baby during COVID, and not one visit did we have to wait in the waiting room to be seen. And I got to thinking, you know, and even now with my kids, still when we go, when we went to their first doctor's visits we wait in the car and they call you because we have cell phones we, we haven't really utilized those in the past and now they are and i, I think that's a positive thing uh, of uh, as a result of covid but anyway i don't know yeah, I, 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 mean, I don't mean to get off on a tangent well, no across the board covid has definitely accelerated technological advances in, in a lot of a lot of those areas service areas and and, and kind of gets to the point of broadband i mean that's a major issue in small rural areas especially throughout Appalachia, of, of bringing broadband up to a standard that everyone can access it yeah and you know there were some larger companies working during covid to to make sure that children that didn't have access to to broadband or to any uh, internet whatsoever were we're given that opportunity. And I think a lot of companies made a lot of strides to help in particular areas, but there's still a long way to go with that. Not to harbor on the healthcare thing, but can you believe that for our entire lives, that every time we went to a the doctor, they sat us in a room with 30 other sick kids to sit there and wait? Why was that ever? No masks. Thing? 
No mask. Why was that a thing? Like, really? <laughs> Yeah. Wait in this waiting room. The worst the place you could wait. Yes. Yes. Like you might it's like walking into it's like walking into a daycare. It's like a petri dish. Yes, exactly. I, I, oh, oh, doc. Now you see me and I'm sick. Well, no kidding. No kidding. Because I've been out there yeah. amongst 30 other people that that look like crap. And it, no wonder. So anyway, sorry. Uh, no, and with broadband, you know, with it is advanced telehealth, which is helpful in smaller rural areas, but also, you know, education comes into play. Like, like in smaller areas, like you said, the density thing, it's just with a density issue, uh, rural education, the kids may have less access to advanced courses just because they don't have enough teachers who can, who can teach those advanced courses. I mean, it's, I've read an article that, it's proven that rural communities have less AP courses just because they don't have the teachers that can teach them. But I think with uh, access to online education um, that, that we're seeing now, even at the collegiate level, um, the advances that we've seen, how we can get educated online, it, has, it, it, it just it breaks that barrier or, or levels the playing field for both urban and rural. Yeah. I think the excuse of lack of ability to, to, to get a good education. I think that excuse that we used as children and teenagers is my kid, my kids can't use that. They, they have lots of access. It might be harder for us to develop that. It might take, it might require some, some better parenting, but from an educational standpoint, I feel like we're leaps and bounds ahead of where we were 15, 20 years ago. And that has a lot to do with, with the Internet and, and the ability to access things online. Um, but there are, there are still a ton of kids in Appalachia and throughout Appalachia that, that don't have that same chance, I guess us growing up without having access to technology mm-hmm. we were definitely behind the eight ball when it came to education and i yeah. saw that when i went to college when i when i went to college i majored in chemistry my first biology and chemistry class i knew right away i was light years behind a lot of the other people that were in my class i had to make up a, a lot of ground just to get up to to where they were and and that wasn't a fault of anyone in our hometown. It was just maybe a capacity issue. Maybe just, you know, we didn't have the resources that other people had. I just wasn't at the level as other people. And it's not like I went far away to, to undergrad. I was at, you know, Western Kentucky, but for my first day, I could tell a difference. You know, I felt some of that. uh, And I was a little bit closer than you. Uh, but I, I definitely felt some of that. But like, like I said, I think since the developments in technology have come so far that, you know, I hope that that gap is not as wide as it used to be. And, and I hope we don't revert back. I, I, I just hope people aren't scared of technology. I hope we continue to, to move forward in regards to education and in, in regards to uh, other areas of services that that technology could advance or could help, especially for r- small rural areas. Just to get on to the next question, we won't harp on that I- anymore. We <laughs> we could talk about that for days, probably. But still upset about those waiting rooms, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Another thing that I always hear from people, 
in smaller areas is, well, there's a lack of amenities that, and it kind of gets back to nothing to do, but lack of amenities, lack of resources that I just can't, you know, go to the theater. I can't go to a ball game. I can't go to this or that, you know, and, and I will mention my kids, if they wanted to play lacrosse, they could play lacrosse. If they wanted to play soccer, they could play soccer. Your kids are never going to play lacrosse because there's no one there that, that will, I mean, if someone steps up and say, Hey, I'm going to put together a lacrosse team, then yes, they would have that access. But again, that's a density issue. I mean, Cleveland, where I live now has this behind New York, it has this second largest theater district in the country. I have direct access to that, but you've probably been to more shows over the last five years than I've been than you. here. Yeah. Um, Sometimes when it's right in your backyard, it's not as uh, when it's on demand that you can you, you can get it anytime. You don't necessarily take advantage of it, like you said. Whereas, you know, the, those things that I've been to in the last five ten years are are things that we seek out to go and do in other areas. You talk about the normal person inside Appalachia. They don't have the same opportunities that I do even. Exactly. Um, I can't walk out my front door up into the mountains. So, you know, I guess it's just all what you get accustomed to and what you get used to. Yeah. I, I think on the flip side of that, and when it comes to resources, I probably do have access to more resources, you know, whether it be a larger library system, uh, for instance, you know, I, I, I could go to any county around here and, find anything I need or or just other resources that are that brings me that brings me to to a very important question the importance of public libraries (laughs) are those as important now as they were 10 years ago 15 Uh, years ago I guess it depends how you define important public libraries have changed a little bit they're offering a lot more community services rather than hey come in and get a book how do you define important? I mean, are those services important to you or can you find them somewhere else? Is there something that I can't get at a fingertip that the public library can provide for me? A summer reading program for your kid, for example. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, you know, that's good. Yeah. They, you know, they market themselves for the services these days to, to mm-hmm. make themselves seem as important as they were 10 years ago. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm all for them. I think I think I, think I am. I, but I can remember as a kid going to the public library and checking out books, you know, and we've we've let our kids do that just as a rite of passage, I guess. <laughs> we go here to get these, you know, we're not going and doing research in the encyclopedia at the library. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, that's not a thing. Yeah, I mean, as far as access to physical books i think that's long past for libraries even though they still will have them and will probably have them until like if that encyclopedia salesman didn't come to the house during the summer when we were kids like (laughs) mom would have made us go to the library to read encyclopedias i think mom still regrets (laughs) buying encyclopedias like (laughs) oh yeah i hope so but you know what i bet she can still put a full set together (laughs) <laughs> I guarantee I know she can. She gets I guarantee it. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, I uh the kind of the last one I really wanted to talk about in length, probably one of the most important ones, understandably so. It's probably 
the one that gets talked about the most question of I have or, or statement, I have nowhere to work. Yeah, and that's a real issue when you're talking about small Appalachian rural towns. What do you think about job opportunities and, and opportunities for work? I think there's opportunities for work. It just might not be high level pay job. There's not as many. Overall, there's, you know, if somebody wants to work, they can work. But it, it, it's definitely not in a, maybe not in the career path that they sought out from the beginning. Jobs and opportunity are definitely higher in, in where you live versus where I live. I think communities and local economies have made strides to do that. And even where I live, it's much greater than in the area where we grew up. There's lots of people leaving leaving Appalachia to go to other areas because of that is what it boils down to. And, and I say leaving Appalachia, maybe moving further towards the outskirts of Appalachia and not staying in the heart of Appalachia because of lack of economic development. And that is a real issue. Yeah. We talk about extractive in- industries in, in mm-hmm. Appalachia, but one one of the most extracted thing in Appalachia are our people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's unfortunate, and that that happens due to some of the uh, different industries that I guess are, and a lot of times are forced out of Appalachia. Coal comes to mind for me. Uh, you know, I'm in the middle of coal country, and it seems like every day coal mines are dying. And and with with that happening, you don't think about, you know, if you're far removed from the world of coal, you don't think about that resource and how much it affects people. You know, me, for one, I, I have a lot of respect for all the people that worked in the coal coal mines and have, uh, you know, been a part of that world because I know how many lives and how many individuals it's affected all throughout Appalachia, especially. And I don't want to turn it into a, a war on coal. Um, I'm certainly pro coal, but uh, it, it does kind of seem that way in the world that, that, that we're living in right now, that there's somewhat of a war on that. And it, it affects people's lives. Our, our history, especially where we're from, our history, our heritage, literally a large number of our towns were built by coal. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we have a history there. And when, when you referred to high paying jobs, people that worked in the coal industry, they, they could come out with no college education and get really good paying jobs. Yeah, and, and yeah that's did this true. For a long time, it's hard on people because it's hard on it's, it's hard on not just people. It's hard on generations of people that have relied on that one resource to not only fuel their my point was it, it's fueled their families for a long, long time. You know, I can understand the support of coal. It's our heritage. It's what we have been for a long time. And that's to never be forgotten. But, you know, you have to remember that as we transition, we need to diversify. We need to have other industries. You know, these jobs can be in tourism. It can be in manufacturing. It can be in neighborhood retailers and the global exports. This is all happening already. Technology has really accelerated what this region can do. That's why broadband is such an important aspect to our development, to provide opportunities. It really levels the playing field. It helps us to access things that in years past we couldn't when we were little. You know, there, there was no way we could, one, have this podcast. There's a lot of things that we 
couldn't do. We need to dive into technology in the area. Don't be scared of it. Utilize it. It's important. It's important for us, for this region, to be able to work in the 21st century. I mean, there are several barriers to opportunities like poverty or access to child care that it may be more prevalent in small towns. But often the challenges look the same no matter where you are. The solutions are often different based on the unique assets of the community, but it's a matter of breaking through or or getting past some of those barriers to level the playing field to help everyone have those opportunities. The Federal Reserve has introduced what they refer to as opportunity occupations. It's these occupations that pay well, but you don't have to have a four-year degree. They have put together these maps of opportunity occupations that you can look into or, or refer to to try to find those occupations within your area. The important thing is that there sometimes needs to be training associated with these occupations and not your typical training, but I think there's a push to transferable skills that can provide better career opportunities or advancement. People today don't work typically don't work in the same industry like they used to used to, you know, you'd get a job and you work in it 30, 40 years and retire. And now it's common for someone to work in three, four, five different industries over the lifetime of their career. And so there's this push or it's important to develop or train towards transferable skills that can not only be used in the industry you're working in, but multiple industries. Appalachia has this rich cultural heritage based on some of the unique assets that, that we have, whether it be the land, whether it be our history, the people. How do you totally change people's mindset on pursuing those careers? That's not something easy to do. Yeah, We have these assets, we have this rich cultural heritage that we should build upon. Uh, you can see it happening throughout Appalachia. Yeah. There's a lot of entrepreneurial activity uh, going on throughout the region. A lot of times, especially in the past, you know, entrepreneurship in, in the region has been built on necessity. People had to be entrepreneurial because there were, were no other opportunities. I think we're kind of seeing a shift towards more growth entrepreneurship. Yeah. This push towards localism can give city solutions built on networks that can be more of a bottom-up approach that can give everyone an opportunity built on your own community's needs. You know, no one knows your community like you. And there are a lot of good examples of this bottom-up approach throughout Appalachia that's going on right now. For instance, Coalfield Development in West Virginia. It's a social enterprise that very much has a bottom-up approach that's doing some really cool, really interesting things in West Virginia, shaping our Appalachian region is doing some neat things to bring people together for Eastern Kentucky. There's a lot of other good examples throughout Appalachia that you can see these little networks in small towns that are coming together to develop opportunities. Yeah, I think this is an exciting time for the region. I think we are finally starting to understand that we don't need to wait on someone to come in and save us. We don't need to sit around and wait for someone to come in and tell us what to do. We as Appalachians need to work for Appalachia and build upon the resilience that we as a region have have always had. And when it all boils down to how do you move forward, how can you drive employment, 
A lot of times it is leadership. I mean, look at App Harvest that you mentioned before. He could have yeah. he could have put that a lot of places. I mean, yes, you mm-hmm. need a lot of land, but he didn't have to put it in Appalachia. It had a lot to do with leadership and relationship and recruitment of, you know, just gets to the point of, you better know who you're electing. You but know? when it when it comes to local policy, I mean, cities aren't run on politics. I mean, yes, when your communities typically vote, politics comes into play, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't because right. cities it shouldn't, but communities, it does. the way they are run, they aren't run on issues that you see at the federal level. Forget about Republican, Democrat, Independent when you're talking about your community. Your community is based on a bunch of networks that work together seemingly. But but like you said, it, the right leader needs to be in place. Yeah. I think we got sure. way off topic. <clears throat> yeah, I know. You know, the jobs and opportunities in jobs is, is kind of the big one. And that's really my last question that I kind of had for you. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about any other opportunities or like thereof that kind of come to mind. You know, one thing that we've already talked about is travel and you know the opportunity to get on a local bus and uh, you know go through your your town but just think about traveling outside of Appalachia access to to an airport people that that grew up outside of Appalachia not like us like your your wife for instance you know for her to go uh get on an airplane wasn't as big of a deal as it was for us growing up i just think that mode of transportation is one that has to continue to grow and people have to have greater access to throughout Appalachia in order to connect to other parts of the, of the world around us. All right, man. Um, this has been long discussion for us anyway, on opportunity, but just to keep it a little more positive, I don't really know how it didn't seem very, very positive, this discussion, (laughs) but um, we were too serious. Yeah, no. We get so no, serious. It's not, it's not like us, right? It's not us. No, no not, not at all. What happened? I don't know, man. You started talking about, you know, no, it just it, things of the heart. It, it, it just <laughs> kind of got to me the last couple of times when you mentioned, you know, lack of opportunity, and it, it's not yeah. something that I take lightly. I, I don't want to continue down this road, but best mm-hmm. practices in other areas could also work in Appalachia. And and, yeah. and they are working in Appalachia. There's a lot of great things going on. And, and as we take this show forward, and, and I'm all in on continuing Appalachia Meets World, we want to highlight a lot of the things that are going on within the region. Yeah, I think we got some great ideas coming up. But if uh, any folks out there have some things that you would be particularly interested in that might strike a chord with us you know don't be afraid to to send us an email or send us a tweet or or anything like that so make sure you reach out to us somehow and we can try to dive into uh as many different topics as the heart desires yeah definitely i'm 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 excited about what we have coming up and i think the listeners will will be too i guess we can end it tonight on like we always do talking a little bit about of place just to keep it give that positive sense of place is there anything you want to talk about on the of place segment yeah i think you're up this time yeah tonight i think i want to want to highlight the the new river gorge national park I, i guess becoming recently a national park i think that's pretty cool pretty cool for appalachia pretty cool for the region uh, specifically West Virginia, a little bit of Virginia. I know that's where they have the Red River 
or not the Red River, but the New River Gorge Bridge. It's where they have Bridge Day. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's where they allocate one day a year to jump off the bridge. It might be one weekend, but I think uh, that's a future goal of mine to jump off that bridge. Growing up, or even now, the, one of my favorite things to do was to walk out our front door into the mountains. And I miss that, man. That always gave me that sense of place whenever I go hiking now or whenever I go to any mountains, anywhere. I'm, I'm definitely partial to central Appalachia, but it always, always reminds me of home. So when I hear people talking about hiking, it just gives me that sense of place, that, that sense of purpose that I kind of grew up with knowing. Yeah, there's nothing like going out and getting in the woods, uh, making you feel at home. For me, it's still out my door. I can be, I can be, you know, not necessarily in the thicket of it like we grew up, but within a few minutes, it's more of a struggle for you now. Yeah, I mean, we have, we actually have quite a bit of green space. It's called the Emerald yeah, Necklace. Count. It's called the Emerald Necklace in Cleveland, where they have metro parks all the way around the urban center, but nothing like Appalachia. Yeah, nothing like home. I think that's a good way to end it. Again, as we mentioned on the last couple episodes, if you like what you're hearing, definitely uh, you know subscribe, write a review, help our podcast out, or follow us <laughs> anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah, I had a friend this week text me about uh, about listening to the podcast. He said, uh, "Appalachia meets world, my new addiction." I thought, <laughs> man. I love this dude. <laughs> no, no, to that point, man, I, I've, I've been getting a lot of support for the show. I'm, I'm excited about um, the interest, and in I'm excited about you know what what we could do going forward. Mm-hmm. Who knows what this turns into? All right, I guess I'll say as I usually do. Till next time, peace. I'm up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting. Now I'm facing down with a grin I've been in the city too long Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains